did anybody have the pleasure of taking the 101 to get here this morning? <laughs> um, man, oh man. Traffic is like some syrup. Hear me out. Imagine it's a beautiful, bright, sunny day, much like today. The sky is endless blue. The weather is perfect. And you should be on the beach or in the forest or even at church to be taken advantage of it. But here you are instead, stuck in traffic. On the 101, moving at the speed of inches. You may think about exiting the interstate, taking the back roads to your destination, but you glance over and there are lanes and lanes burying you from your exit. <sighs> you may think, you may desperately glance at that Buddha statue on the side of 101 as the Teslas and the trucks press against you hurling towards liberation at the speed of molasses. Get me out of here! And yet, like the rest of us, on this planet, on this plane of reality, like all the humans, we are stuck in this endless cycle of death and rebirth, samsara. Now, the subject of I got a Gersher box beneath me. The subject of our sermon today, she didn't have to deal with traffic. Well, at least traffic from cars. Maybe there were like some yak traffic incidents, I imagine. Um, we head now to the land of Tibet in the region of Kartan and during the eighth century, where our subject, Yeshis Tuskal, was born a princess. The story of Yeshi's life comes from the Tibetan spiritual literature tradition of Namtar. And these are tales of liberation from samsara. And they are rich in instructions, in symbolism, in doctrine of tantra, veiled in aesthetic language and song for those who are astute enough to know what it means. Now, Yeshi, she is the founding mother of Tibetan Buddhism. Her birth was an auspicious one in which her royal father dreamt of a grand stupa so tall that people from India and China and Mongolia and beyond could see it and all came towards it. He dreamt that a voice proclaimed that the light filled the universe with a billion worlds. And even her royal mother dreamt of holding a necklace filled of conchs and corals in which great quantities of blood and milk flowed out to thirsty people with a voice booming that this shall not run dry until the end of this age. Now, if these nighttime visions were not enough to solidify that something big is about to arrive, the parents' surprise visitor at sunrise surely did. The, the Lady of the Lotus Born, which is the story of Yeshi's life and ministry, states that a mysterious visitor who was lovely like a daughter of the gods just appeared out of nowhere. And she proclaimed, in the house of this princely father, the Buddha has arisen, the Dharma and the Sangha. Ah la la, this is a marvelous wonder. And then she vanished. Uh, Miss, miss, 
Do you want some tea? I don't know. Maybe the divine don't get a union five. Anyways, Yeshi is born without problems for her mother. The Lady of the Lotus Born book describes it as quite a sight. The earth shakes, flowers flood down from the sky. The palace is encased in a tent of rainbows. What a baby shower. As soon as she is born, Yeshi has a full head of hair, black blue hair down to her waist, and she could speak. In a month's time, Yeshi grew quickly to an eight-year-old. Man, imagine the clothing budget for that one month. I want to take a break from mythical children and talk about the landscape of 8th century Tibet and Buddhism. Buddhism first entered Tibet five centuries earlier, so even farther back. And Tibet's natural remoteness and the mountains protected and cultivated not only the early Indian Buddhist practices that fell out of practice in India, um, but it also protected and cultivated native Tibetan Buddhism rituals and practices. The translator of The Lady of the Lotus Born uh, states, so seamless is the tradition of Tibetan Buddhism that if one were to take a Lama writing or commenting on a scripture at the end of the 20th century and place him alongside one of his forebearers of the 10th, one would discover a similarity of thought, expression, and attitude that renders them virtual contemporaries. This is one reason why Tibetan Buddhism really stands out among Buddhist sects. Anyways, let's go back, back to the eighth century. Ooh, a lot of time travel today. So, despite his fabulous vision and everything that happened with the birth of his daughter, Yeshi's father, as the years go on, begins to focus on the mundane aspects of life in the real world. And in that case, it is time for Yeshi to get married. And Yeshi, this is a tale of liberation, so you can probably tell what she says. No, she doesn't want to get married. She wants to study the Dharma. She wants to cultivate her spiritual practices. Her reluctance echoes her spiritual master, uh, Prince Siddhartha's own story of wanting to leave as an aesthetic as a young man, despite tradition and orthodoxy saying that that role was only for an old man, much to the dismay and detriment of his family. And yes, she also disappoints her family by denying their orthodoxy. When she is told she is going to be given away in marriage at 16 years old, yes, she flees the palace. Now, her time away is horrifying uh, as a solo girl in the 8th century. But still, no matter what happens to her, she manages to practice the Dharma. Her plight, in her own words, may even sound modern to some of us. Here's what she said. I am a timid woman and of scant ability, of lowly condition, the butt of everyone. If I go for alms, I am set upon by dogs. If food and riches come my way, I am the prey of thieves. Since I am beautiful, I am the quarry of every lecher. 
If I am busy with much to do, the country folk accuse me. If I don't do what they think I should do, the people criticize me. If I put a foot wrong, everyone detests me. I have to worry about everything I do. That's what it's like to be a woman. How can a woman possibly gain accomplishment in Dharma? Just by managing, just managing to survive is already hard enough. Girl, I feel you. It is hard. However, she was brought back by force. And she was forced to marry the emperor of Tibet, uh, Tri Song Densen. And now it's in his court that Yeshi meets someone that will not only change her life, but change the entire history of Tibet. So, in the emperor's court one day, a guru named Padmasabhava arrived from India to spread the teachings of Buddha and to stop those by tantric means of those who sought to suppress Buddhist doctrine. Well, okay, so perhaps the emperor was really so beset with thongs of unbelievers, or perhaps the emperor took pity on Yeshi as she watched this holy man in rapt attention, or perhaps he felt that Yeshi's sorrow was so great that being married to her was a complete drag. We'll never know, but what is said in the story is that the emperor gave Yeshi to the guru as an offering. When this occurred, Yeshi beseeched the guru, asking if she could be enlightened since she was merely a woman. And the guru replied affirmatively, for spirituality has no gender limitations. Enlightenment is for all of us. So the teacher freed Yeshi, and soon enough she became his main disciple and consort. Perhaps in the end, the emperor knew that Tibet needed Yeshi just as much as it needed Padmasabhabha. After, after all, the book of her life begins with the guru her, himself calling her for, forth as an aspect of the goddess Sarasvati, the goddess of wisdom. He literally calls her into existence and tells the king that without her, his work won't get done. Now, in Buddhism, and in particularly the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism, the teacher-student relationship is key to becoming enlightened. Since religion is, after all, human-made, it requires human relationships to be transmitted and to be understood. It's one thing to intellectually read about the Dharma Sangha, the community. It's another thing to actually live it and live it in a way that liberates you from samsara. In fact, a disciple meeting their teacher may be the most crucial moment of that person's samsaric existence as the Buddha nature, as the Buddha nature of the guru and the disciple sink, as disciple meets teacher, this crucial relationship hopefully will awaken the guru within the disciple. The sacred relationship is called samaya. Tosko speaks of her relationship with her guru thusly. All of the teachings of the Buddha were present in the precious master. He was like a vessel filled to overflowing. And after I had served him, he gave to me the woman, Yeshi Tussle. 
he poured it all out from one vase to another. She served her teacher faithfully for years as his disciple. And it's because of his, her work that we know of his influence. It's only, I'm sorry, yet only after her enlightenment, yet it is only after her enlightenment when the guru sings to her in celebration, celebrating that she did it, that even with her body as a woman, she did it. In the supreme body of a woman, he says, you have gained accomplishment. Your mind itself is Lord. Request him for empowerment and blessing. There is no other region than of the lotus guru. And then he tells her, and then, I'm sorry, and then he departs with these final words. There I am in front of anyone who prays to me. Never will I separate from those who have faith. Having given her this wisdom, the guru leaves Tibet and leaves her in despair. And this is where we see in the book Yeshi at her most human. It was like waking from a dream. Yeshi speaks of her heartbreak and then... In the midst of despair, grief, there was illumination. She says, I gained a fearless confidence. The nest of hopes and fears fell to nothing, and the torment of the defiled emotion was cleared away. I experienced directly that the teacher was inseparable from myself. Thus, she saw the truth. She saw through the illusion that we are all separate from each other. Knowing this, Yeshi sets upon decades of work to liberate humanity. She gathers disciples and she founds monasteries throughout Tibet. She's a very, very busy lady for about nine decades. Um, I want to say some words on Tantra, uh, which will not be enough because this topic invokes sensationalism in the West. Uh, these tantras are almost exclusively Tibetan Buddhist, with aspects of Mayahana and uh, Vajrayana practice. They are a fast track to the state of Buddhahood within one human lifetime, as opposed to eons and eons. So tantra focus on, focuses on the removal of desire, desire for the flesh, and is usually practiced within marriage. It's through this heightened sexual awareness um, and practice that you can gain control and gain knowledge. Guru Riposhe, another name for her guru, states that the secret nature of these practices are not because they're shameful or dysfunctional, but it's because they are, pa they are powerful and therefore very perilous. They're only to be used by the appropriate people at the appropriate time. And this seems kind of hard to grok from a Western point of view, where sex is either seen as something so, so sacred, it's only for childbirth in marriage, or something that's so, so trivialized that it's plastered on every billboard. Like all Buddhist approach, it's somewhere in the middle is where we want to be. Um, the Tantra way is not for everyone. 
the ability to feel but not crave, to experience and yet hanker for more or indeed for anything is a mark of long training and a sign of spiritual stature. That being said, combining sexual energy under the power dynamics of teacher to student is a very dangerous practice in my opinion, filled with pitfalls, pitfalls and perils as we can see with the recent sexual abuse cases that are coming out of Tibet. In search of the sacred, we must not hurt each other along the way. We're companions on the same ship. These teachings are not widespread and decimated because other paths are less fraught with danger than this one to enlightenment. There are easier ways. Still, however, the use of sexual energy as a means to spiritual enlightenment is binary breaking. It suggests that there is creative ways and means with compassion to get beyond the current system than died solely doing traditional spiritual things like praying or fasting. Yeshi's story also stands out because it is the story of the first ever enlightenment in Tibet and it stars a woman. Women are mentioned as an aside in most religions, including Buddhism. Our non-binary siblings are mentioned even less. There is a trope that often arises when you, are, you have these stories of women seeking spiritual wisdom from literature both of the East and the West. So a woman's role in the ancient world, East or West, was not to go out alone and attain spiritual wisdom. Her role, whether she was in Antioch or Lhasa, was to marry and procreate. We see this in Yeshi's story. And we see this also in Tekla. Tekla was an early Christian. She lived around the first century during the formative years of Christianity. And her story is documented by the Acts of Paul and Tekla, an early Christian text. Tekla, like Yeshi, did not want to get married. She refused to follow society's dictates and instead chose to follow her guru, her teacher, Paul, around. She traveled around with him on evangelizing missions, and she lived a life of celibacy and service. Yeshi's mystical, I'm sorry, mythical existence, and mystical, maybe a lot for readers from the West to take in, yet her story is not read to, her story is not meant to be read as a history. As a translator, Chomi Dorma, states as a historical figure, she is a model disciple and now serves as an ideal role model. Dorma states that her story is a manual for next generations, for all of us, regardless of gender identity. And so her story continues to live on in Tibet. In fact, the most recent, recent incarnation of Yeshi Togal is Sarah Kondro, who was born in 1892 and died in 1940. Yeshi's story continues to teach that not just women, but all genders, everyone, is, act, is, is able to be enlightened. Enlightenment is accessible for all. Our physical forms have no bearing on whether or not we're able to escape from samsara. It's only through egoist action that we are freed. 
Her example demonstrates that enlightenment is not limited by gender or social status. It's there for us all. May all sentient beings hear Yeshi's words and be free from suffering. May it be so.